Hi, everyone. As we look to the future today, I want to talk to you about something reassuring. I want to talk about the God who fights for us. One of my favorite things as a child was every so often, my father would let me wrestle him in the house. And the fight always seemed to take the same pattern. At first, I'd be losing, then I'd try hard, and then eventually, I always seemed to win. But of course, with hindsight, I know that the outcome of the fight was actually nothing to do with me. Yes, I was genuinely trying my hardest, but the only one who determined the outcome of the fight was my father. And the same is true in our lives. When you face challenges or battles, and we all face them at times, yes, you might be called upon to fight or try your hardest, but ultimately, it's your heavenly father who determines the outcome. We're going to look at a fascinating passage today from the Old Testament. 3,000 years ago, before they had kings, the Israelites were led by a priest called Levi. And the Philistines had invaded Israel and the war was going badly for the Israelites. So they decide to bring out their super weapon, the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark was a box which contained the Ten Commandments on stone tablets, uh, Aaron's staff and some of the manna from the wilderness. But more importantly, the Ark represented the very presence and dwelling place of God Almighty. But at the Battle of Ebenezer, disaster strikes. The Philistines win the battle, killing 30,000 Israelite soldiers. And Eli's two sons, his successors, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed in the battle as well. And if that wasn't bad enough, the Philistines capture the ark and take it away. But it gets even worse. After the battle, they tell Eli what's happened about the defeat, about his sons and losing the ark. And Eli, who's now 98 years old, is so shocked at the news, he falls off his chair. And after having led Israel for 40 years, as he falls off, he breaks his neck and dies. And 1 Samuel chapter 4 ends with these devastating words. The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So, Israel has been defeated by an invading enemy. Their leader is dead. His successors are dead. <laughs> Maybe you feel at a low point in your life. Like Israel, perhaps you feel desperate in need of a breakthrough. And what's more, Israel is not only defeated, they've literally lost God. The ark, the presence is gone. Maybe you feel like you've lost God. Your faith is either gone or maybe you're hanging on by a thread. Or perhaps you feel like God is absent in your situation. But I really want to encourage you today. Whatever challenges you face, however low or defeated you feel, however absent God may seem, God is able to turn the situation around. A number of years ago, I met a guy at church uh, in London who ran a venture capitalist firm. And what they did was they, they bought struggling companies, then they would turn them around, grow them again, and then sell them off at a premium. And I said to him, what, what got you into this line of work? And he smiled and said, well, Miles, I do worship the God of the turnaround. So it just seemed a natural thing to do. Now in the next three chapters in this story, we read how God brings about the most remarkable turnaround. 
and he can do the same for you. So let me begin by reading 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple. Dagon was the chief god of the Philistines and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who entered Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. When the men of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon, our God. So what they do is they take the ark from Ashdod because they can't bear it any longer and they move it to another Philistine city, Gath. But the same thing happens there. So they move it to another Philistine city, Ekron. Same thing happens again. And eventually the Philistines go, right, we can't keep this God of, the, of Israel any longer. Let's get rid of it. So what they do is they take the Ark of the Covenant and they put it on a cart and they attach at the front of the cart two oxen. And then they set the oxen off down the road and they go nowhere near it. So the oxen just start plodding along by themselves. And as the Philistines are watching, they know that at the end of the road, there's a fork. If the oxen go this way, then they'll pull the cart off into the wilderness. But if it goes this way, that's the road that will lead them back to the Israelites' territory. And they watch. And sure enough, when the oxen get to the end, they go this way and head back towards Israel's territory. And the Philistines say, oh, the Israelite God is going back to his people. So what happens is the oxen keep going, but then eventually on the edge of the Israelites' territory, it stops. And the Israelites see the ark go, oh, it's the ark. And a group of them are, you know, they're a bit nosy. They think, oh, I've always wondered what's in the box. So they open the lid and ah, 70 of them die. So they go, oh, what are we going to do? We are so sinful. God is so holy. What do we do with the ark? And they say these words, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy one? So they think about it and they come up with this really spectacular plan of what to do with the ark. They think, let's just leave it there. So they leave it there at this place called Kiriath-Jerim and they just have one little boy to guard it. So God is nearly back, but not quite. And that's where we pick up the story again. It's 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at verse 2. Was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath Jerim. <laughs> so they leave it there for 20 years. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel, so Samuel was now Eli's successor, leading the nation. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, 
then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. So God completely turns the situation around. What can we learn about how God can turn our situations around from this story? Well, the first thing is this, be encouraged. God fights the battle for us. This is both a huge encouragement, it's not all on us, but it's also a huge challenge. Are we gonna believe it? Are we gonna put our trust in God? Throughout scripture, we see that God fights for us. As the Egyptians advanced towards the Israelites, as they escaped from slavery, Moses reassured the people saying, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. Exodus 14, 14. Or later on, when the Assyrians besieged Jerusalem, God's, God called, caused confusion in the Assyrian camp. So they all fled and the siege was lifted in 2 Kings 19. And here in this passage against the Philistines, it was God who single-handedly returned the ark to the Israelites. It was his hand that was heavy upon the Philistines and their cities. You know, when the Philistines then attacked at Mizpah, God thundered so loudly that the Philistines panicked and they were defeated. Now the Philistines chief God was Dagon, whom uh, the ark had already smashed up. And Dagon's son was Baal, head of the ancestral spirits and the God of the weather. And therefore it was believed the harvest. Actually archeological digs show that Baal was normally depicted with a thunderbolt in his hand. So with a hint of irony, God wins the battle with a thunderbolt, showing himself to be the true God. You know, if you feel weaker than the challenge you face, then that's okay, because God is stronger than the challenge you face. You are able because he is able, and he fights the battle for you. Secondly, we can see the need to return to the Lord with all of our heart. 
We must turn to the Lord with all of our heart. Allow him access all areas to our lives. And what does returning to the Lord with all of your heart look like? Well, in this passage, we see two things. Firstly, remove the idols from your life. In 1 Samuel 7, verses 3 and 4, it says this, And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Israelites. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. So the people did it. They got rid of the Baals, the idols they had, and the Ashtoreths. Ashtoreth was the fertility goddess. And they gave exclusive attention and service to God. Now, idols are anything which draw our attention and focus away from Jesus. I remember meeting a, a family at HTBB and I was talking to the dad and he said uh, they, they weren't a Christian family, they, they, they were Buddhists, but their 12-year-old son kept on saying that he wanted to come to HTBB. So rather than just dropping him off, the dad thought, well, I don't know what goes on in a church. So just to make sure he's okay, I'll drop him off, but stay in the church to find out. And that first Sunday, when the worship started in the church building, the dad started to, to tear up and he thought, oh my goodness, what's happening? The following Sunday, he came back, dropped his son again, and he thought, I'll just try that service again, just to see if the same thing happens. Sure enough, as soon as the worship started, he began to tear. Third Sunday, same thing happened again. And at this point, he thought, wow, this is real. And then they did something amazing as a family. All by themselves, they worked out, do you know what? We probably shouldn't have this idol in our home. So they removed the idol so they could focus their worship on Jesus. The Spirit had revealed it to it to them. They instinctively knew that they should put the idol away and focus on the Lord. But idols can also be other subtle things like our ambition or uh, dreams that we worship or, or wealth. Maybe you have some idols in your life or quite literally in your home and you want to be rid of them, but you don't know how to break the power or grip they have over you. Well, look at how the ark, how God dealt with Dagon. The ark represented the presence of God, which is now in us by his Holy Spirit. Worship the Lord in your life and in your home. Invite the Spirit in. And where the presence of the Lord is, there the power of God is released and false idols will come crashing down, just like Dagon. So remove the idols from our lives. The other thing that giving all of our heart to the Lord means is to confess and to repent. Verse six of chapter seven, we read this. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and they, there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Repentance is such a positive thing to do as it leads to forgiveness, it leads to freedom, a lightness of heart and new beginnings. You know, the word for repentance in the New Testament means to change with the mind. Now, when we repent and confess to God, it, it doesn't enlighten or inform his mind. 
He knows what we've done before we even confess it. Rather, repentance leads to our own self-awareness, our own self-realization and self-revelation of our wrongdoing. We begin to take ownership and responsibility for it and then to allow God to forgive us and to heal us and to move us on. Maybe you've let God get partially close to you, but no closer. Perhaps you're keeping him at a slight distance. You're keeping him at your Kiriath Jirim, as it were, because you know there's something not quite right in your life. Well, the good news is you can let him get close to you today because Jesus has dealt with your sin and God does not hold it against you. You are clean in his sight because of the cross. You are righteous. Return to the Lord with all your heart. And then thirdly, replace fear with faith. Sometimes in life, we get fearful and we panic. And I don't know whether you've ever experienced this, but it's not always the big things in life that can panic us. Sometimes it's the silly little things that get us fearful. I remember when uh, my family and I moved here eight years ago, we moved into our condo in, in Banda Otama and uh, there was literally nothing in it. We realized we didn't have any food. We didn't have any uh, cleaning products. We didn't have a mop, a bucket, anything. So I, I sort of Googled where I could buy this stuff. And the nearest place was this shop called Eon in something called Wan Utama. I didn't know what it was, but I said to Sarah, can you stay here with the children? Uh, I'll go and get the supplies, it's okay. So I, I jumped in the car and uh, made my way to Wanutama. Now, I've got a confession to make. In the UK, there aren't many shopping malls. And at this point in my life, I had never been to a shopping mall ever. So I got there totally unprepared for how big Wanutama is, right? So I went down into the uh, car park. I don't know how many levels down in the basement. It took me like 25 minutes just to park the thing. Then I sort of felt my way into the mall. It took me like another 20 minutes eventually to find this supermarket called Eon. And I walked in and then my eyes went wide. I don't know what came over me. I don't know whether it was perhaps the jet lag, but I got so excited. Vegetables that I'd never seen before in my life. Okay, we definitely need those. Put them in the trolley. Then I turned the corner. I died and gone to noodle hevel, heaven. It was, I, I, I died and gone to noodle heaven. It was a whole aisle just of noodles. We don't have that in the UK. I thought, oh, I need some of those and I need some of those. And aisle after aisle, I started just f- filling the trolley. Not one, but two whole trolleys. I was kind of like double pushing it. I got to the checkout and it was only then as I was paying and I saw that I had no less than 20 bags that this thought came into my head how do I carry the bags to the car? But then an even worse thought came into my head. Where is the car? Of course, I hadn't realized that the smart thing to do in a mall is take a photo of what level you're on, what the bay number is, where you've parked. I'd not left a trail of breadcrumbs or anything. I thought, I don't know where I'm going. So eventually, don't ask me how, I managed to get the trolleys into a lift, got down, and I started to try every parking level. Is the car here? Is the car here? And I was getting more and more lost. An auntie saw me looking a bit flustered, came up to me and said, can I help you? 
And I said, well, I think I've lost my car. And she said, well, what is your car? What sort of car is it? And I went, it's a, and I thought, oh no, I only picked it up yesterday. I don't know what it is. And she said, well, what's your number plate? I said, I don't know. And she obviously thought this is a rather strange Englishman because she politely smiled and made a swift exit. I thought, what am I going to do? I was <laughs> convinced I was going to spend the rest of my life and die in the car park at Wanutama. So then I thought, finally, I should pray. So I started to pray. And as I was praying, I had this idea, oh, maybe I just press the key. So I put my hand in my pocket, I pressed the key, and to my utter amazement, the car right behind me beeped, and I turned around. Thankfully, it was the car. <laughs> Why do I tell you this long story? Well, I realized I was getting so panicky about such a silly little thing, but the antidote to fear is faith, to turn to the Lord in prayer. And that's what we read in verse seven. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistine came up to attack them. They think, oh no, they've got their God back. Let's do a preemptive strike. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid, even though <laughs> God's on their side because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, uh, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. Notice how Samuel acts as a sort of proto-messiah, like a proto-savior here. He sacrifices a lamb for the people. And then he acts as a, as a high priest. He prays on behalf of the people. Jesus, the son of God, is the Messiah and he is our great high priest. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. He was the sacrificial lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then after his death and resurrection, he ascended to heaven. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest. And when you pray in his name, he whispers your prayers in the ears of the Father. Now, sometimes we, may, we might have to wait a while to, hear our to see our prayers answered. The people of Israel prayed for 20 years for the Philistines to go before there was peace in the land. But be encouraged. God never forgets a single prayer that you pray, even though you might forget those prayers. Think about it. Things might happen today that are a direct result of prayers that you prayed years beforehand, but you've forgotten about, but God hasn't. Jesus is still working on them in his perfect timing. Keep persevering in prayer. Choose faith over fear. And this whole story is really a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. In this story, God makes his way back to the people by himself. In the incarnation, the birth of Jesus that first Christmas, God came to us in the person of Jesus. But in this story we read, the people knew that because of their sin, they'd die if the ark dwelt among them. 
But in the New Testament, we read that the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And then he died for us so that we can now know that he can dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. This Old Testament story began with Israel's defeat at a place called Ebenezer. But once the Israelites are finally victorious, Samuel places a stone as a testament and calls it Ebenezer. In other words, the place of defeat had become the place of victory. And likewise, the cross, the place of seeming defeat, was actually the place of victory over sin and death. The resurrection is not the reversal of a defeat, but the manifestation of a victory, a victory won on that first Easter Sunday. And the stone of victory is now the one that was rolled away from that tomb when Jesus rose from the dead. You need have no fear. Our ultimate foe, death itself, has been defeated. At the end of this story, Samuel simply goes back to his home and worships. And it reminds us that the antidote to fear is faith and the soundtrack to faith is worship. Let's pray. Right now, wherever you are, just invite the spirit of the living God, the spirit of Christ, to come into your heart right now. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, would you fill everyone watching this right now? And I think there's somebody watching this. You, you've actually not been to church for a very long time. And as I spoke about returning to the Lord with all your heart, you almost felt like your heart beginning to quicken, to raise something stirring within. You knew that God was speaking to you. Why don't you just turn back to him now? and put your faith in Jesus. Say, I'm sorry, Lord, I want to follow you from this day forward. He's welcoming you home. And any who need that turnaround, you need that breakthrough. You need to be released from the grip of fear right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your peace and in your power bring breakthrough and turnaround and blessing, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.